Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Kansas Briefing. This is your host, Speaker Pro Tim, Blake Carpenter. Today we're going to be talking about financial institutions, pensions, and, and other fun monetary things that we have here in the state capitol with our committee chairman, Representative Nick Hoheisel. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mr. Pro Tim. Fantastic. Well, you can call me Blake while we while we're that doing works. this. So, but I appreciate it. Um, so, we're going to go ahead and talk about your background a little bit. And then, once we've kind of hit on your background, we're going to go into what ESG is, the economic social governance issue, and how it's impacting not only the state of Kansas but us as an entire nation. And then after that, we're going to talk to you a little bit about the banking industry and some of the banking closures we've seen lately. And are we on the precipice of another major banking? Um, crisis that we saw very similar to 2008. So as we head into this, uh, what is your background? What led you to be in the state legislature? How did you end up, uh, you know, what what did you do as a job before this? So my background kind of, um, you know, I'm from Wichita, actually born and raised in my district in southwest Wichita. Uh, my wife and I, miss, my wife Misty and I, we uh, have two kids, uh, Patrick and Abigail, who are now 15 and 13. Um, in 2018, there were a lot of decisions, a lot of things going on in the state of Kansas, budget issues, school finance issues. Uh, my predecessor retired. He stepped away. Um, I decided to throw my hat in the ring. I had a, a primary. My predecessor, Les Osterman, uh, endorsed me in that race. Um, but I, I just, I, I was tired of complaining and sitting on the couch and and just being a part of the problem not part of the solution so i just one day decided you know i i want to be a part of the solution i was always involved in um in community service in my community i served on the uh city wichita city council district advisory board with uh jeff blueball in district four i was on my neighborhood association board but i i want to be a part of the solution so i i decided to run uh i won uh, won my general as well, and and here I am today. Um, before I ran, uh, I was kind of I was in and out of a few jobs, and then finally settled on in a business, uh, pest control business down in Wichita. So that's what I was doing. I still do that. It affords me the flexibility to be up here as well. But um, yeah, that was kind of my background and and what I did and what I still do. I, I still remember being a 16 year old. Um, my very first job was Pizza Hut as a dishwasher when I was 16 years old, making $5.25 an hour. And that was before they raised the minimum wage up. So, and just worked my way up through that chain as well. And I think just when you're 16 and you're, you're washing dishes for a living, it gives you a, a more broad perspective of life in earning that dollar through hard work. So, and, well, I was going to say five twenty-five. Wow, and, yeah. and and you're like they raised it up. I was like, man, you're old. I, <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. Yeah, everybody is old. So, you so, like? Yeah, yeah. There you go. I, I just have to take a few jabs at some of uh, some of my younger colleagues here. And that, old uh, by I assume seven years. or Yeah, so. something like that. You're ancient. I'm, I'm still on the younger side of the legislature. I'm still <laughs> old to you. Yes, yes. You uh, you have uh, many uh, eons above me and yeah. f- as far as age goes. Um, now, I'm curious, have you ever uh, run and held a city council position on, in Wichita? Uh, unfortunately, I haven't. Now, I do have a, a evil twin, not twin brother, but an evil brother that is on the Wichita City Council. Uh, he represents Southeast Wichita. And the fun thing about that is he is a Democrat, so as I am entirely not. So uh, Thanksgivings are fun at our house. I I can only imagine. Well, you know, I did see a uh, 
I did see a photo the other at the beginning of session where he won some sort of a conservative achievement award or conservative yeah. excellence award or something like that with his photo on it. Yeah, the uh, ACU, the American uh, as a conservative, conservative union, union uh, put out their ratings for last year, and I was rated eighty-eight uh, percent, not quite as conservative as you, Blake, but uh, still a pretty high number. But the photo they used in the graphic was a photo of my uh, liberal Democrat brother who <laughs> would. I, I can assure you he will never be even above 50% on the ACU score. So uh, it, we all had a good laugh. I sent it to him. He was kind of angry at first, and then he laughed it off. And uh, But that's that's just kind of the gist of it when you have two Hoheisel's brothers in, in politics on the opposite sides of the aisle. And, uh, yeah, I of, mean, Hoheisel's not a common name. It's not. So. It's not. And it, it's surprising because I've had several folks come up to me and ask me if I had any relations to the city council member Hoheisel and well, it's Hoheisel's the last name, and we're both from Wichita, so it's safe to assume we're we're connected somehow. Uh, interesting thing about that, though, is he represents Southeast Wichita. I represent Southwest Wichita, and our districts do overlap a bit. So we do have constituents that are represented by a Republican state representative, Hoheisel, and a Democrat city council member, Hoheisel, both at the same time. Well, that's pretty interesting. Yep, yes. I bet that does make for some entertaining family holidays. It does. Mom is proud, though. Uh, yep, absolutely. You know— uh, I mean, every parent's proud when when their kids can go on and and do that type of stuff. I I mean, my mom's proud of me, but she uh, she also doesn't go and read my social media or anything like that because she <laughs> doesn't want to see people beating up on her baby. So, yeah. um, but anyway, all right. So we're gonna transition now into uh, ESG. Okay. So what is ESG? How did we get here, and why does it matter? So ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And what's happening is it, this is a, a score that is used to rate companies on um, are they good for the environment? Are they good on social issues? Um, and are they good on corporate governance? So do they have a right mix of minorities on their board or females on their board? Um, and what's happening, we found in other states, they're using their pension systems to weaponize in order to um, press ESG or, or promote ESG. Um, California, namely. So what California is doing is instead of chasing when you have p your pension system, you always want to go for the best return on your investment, no matter what, especially when you're investing other people's money as a state pension system does. So we states like California, instead of chasing the best return on investment, no matter where that comes from, they're taking into account this ESG score and this ESG score. What it's doing is are these companies good for the environment? Are these companies good for, on social issues? But not the question should be, are these companies good on return on investment and only taking that into account? So they're losing money by not chase, chasing their best ROI, their best investment return, and instead wanting companies that are good on environmental issues or are good on social issues. So that that kind of sums up what, what ESG is uh, and how it impacts uh, state pension systems. So how much... Is the state pension system for the state of Kansas right now? Uh, roughly $25 billion. $25 billion. That's yes. a B, right? Yes, with yeah, a billion. So, all right, so $25 billion, and they. so we give this money over to companies that are, are supposed to be going after top returns, yes. fiduciary responsibilities, and so the companies out there that are really pushing this ESG issues, companies like BlackRock, yes. Vanguard, yeah. um, and these types of things. And so, you know, our money does go through and flow through those organizations yes. as of currently. So what are we doing right now to make it? Because, I mean, 
let's break this down to even more simplistic mm-hmm. terms. So if I am a small business owner, and let's say that I am um, helping to supply materials to the oil and gas industry for them mm-hmm. to be able to produce oil and gas. Well, because I am not you know, really, uh, if let's say that I'm supplying them and they don't like that I'm supplying this company with those materials, they could then downgrade mm-hmm. uh, the investment uh, potential for going yes. into my company or even banks. So yeah. the banks could potentially say, well, because you have a poor ESG score, we can't loan you money because is that how that works? Yeah. Yeah. Similar when we're talking about banks, but yeah, on the, on the pension side, yeah, we give our money to, to BlackRock, to, to Vanguard, to, to invest for us. And what we found that Vanguard, actually, the funny thing about Vanguard, they announced a week or two ago that they were pulling out of a zero emissions commitment um, because they this ESG stuff has just gotten too too broad for them, too far for them. And I think they understand that they're actually losing investment returns because of their ESG decisions. Um, but BlackRock is, is full straight ahead. We have about $5 billion with BlackRock right now of our pension system to invest. And instead of investing it in companies where we get the best return on our investment, they're, they're investing it in companies uh, taking ESG into uh, account. And at that point, we're not doing our fiduciary responsibility, as you said, to chase the best return on investment. Um, they're using it to further their social agenda, their environmental agenda. And we think it's wrong, especially when we're investing uh, taxpayers' dollars, our, our, capers, our, our public employees' money. Yeah, because what's happening is they're taking our taxpayer dollars, our public money, yeah. and they're weaponizing it against yes. the public, yeah. um, or at least a certain segment of the population that might not have the same ideological bent that mm-hmm. they do. Yep. And here's a, another example. And, uh, the 2236, or I'm sorry, 2436, our ESG bill in the House covers this as well. Um, we had a, our attorney general uh, wrote a letter to Walgreens a few weeks ago uh, about them distributing an abortion pill in the state of Kansas, and it would be, in fact, illegal. And uh, so Walgreens backed off, said in the states where it is illegal, they were not going to distribute the abortion pill. Well, the state of California uh, got mad at that decision. Mayor, or I'm sorry, Governor Gavin Newsom got mad at that decision and ended all state contracts in the state of California with Walgreens for that decision not to send abortion pills in the states where it was illegal in that state. So in our ESG bill 2436, we say that any gov- you cannot discriminate against a company for their stance if, if on abortion uh, by way of government contracts. So when we're giving government contracts out to, let's say, Walgreens, we can't discriminate against Walgreens because Walgreens has said we're not sending the abortion pill out in the state of Kansas. So basically saying you can have policies for other states that make sense for you in those other states as long as you're complying with our laws in our state. Is yeah, that, is exactly. That basically what exactly. It is? And, you know, California, again, California and, and New York, these states are using their pension system and their government contract system, as you said, to weaponize against ideological issues that they disagree with. So Gavin Newsom disagrees with Walgreens on the fact that they won't send abortion pills into the state of Kansas. So he ended all state government contracts with Walgreens, even though Walgreens very well could be the best, uh, the best fit and the best price for that government contract by way of saving, you know, the California taxpayers money. Um, But instead he may be going with a higher contract 
uh, just because they're upset that Walgreens won't send abortion pills into the state of Kansas. And in our bill 2436, we fixed that in the state of Kansas that says the state of Kansas will not discriminate against a company by way of government contracts because of their stance on abortion or transgender uh, reassignment surgery. That's another one in California as well. They don't want to give contracts to companies who do, do not have transgender reassignment surgeries in their insurance policies. So they've said they won't give any contracts to any companies unless they have their insurance companies pay for gender reassignment surgery. And we think that's wrong as well. At the end of the day, we want the best contract that fits the state of Kansas and the taxpayers of Kansas. Well, and that comes back to, I think, a lot of our ideology and principles of limited government and and not forcing the government's will upon people if they if they don't want to do something. Yeah. And so. I, that's that's you know one of the biggest differences between the right and the left is that you know we are adding protections to these individuals and these companies so that they can carry out their principles and because I mean really you know whether it's private property rights because they own the property that their establishments are on mm-hmm. or uh, whether it's you know their company as a whole I think that we do have to continue to try to uh, promote and defend um, limited government and um, ultimately the ability for them to conduct business as they see fit and it's up to us to okay if we don't agree with that company's principles then we go somewhere else yeah. we seek we seek other services that are um, more in line with our values for instance if you know i know people who will walk into a store and they will say oh nope it's made in china I only want something that's made in the USA mm-hmm. and they will, they will seek and they will find the item made in the USA and they will purchase that item. Now it might be a little bit more, yeah. but it is up to that individual to make that choice for themselves. And that's how the free market works. Exactly. And that's what we have to protect. I mean, that's to me is, is one of the biggest issues when I got elected is protecting the freedom of folks to choose to, to, to participate in the free market and let the free market work. Um, we have, proposals by Democrats all the time up here to to quash that, to to get into uh, the lane, the free market lane. And that kind of freedom is what we're elected to protect. Absolutely. So shifting back our focus back towards this bill, um, you know, I know that you as the chair have been working on this for, for many a months, and there's yeah. been a lot of negotiations um, with how this bill should or shouldn't look. And there are, uh, you know, different parties that are seeking to negotiate different different aspects of this bill. So what are some of those negotiations that you've had that have been kind of the heavier lifts and and you know do we have we struck the right balance with the bill that you guys have been working on and that we're getting ready to consider here in the house? Yeah, so when this bill this proposal came to me uh, a few months ago and I was tasked with it there were three things I wanted to look at. A, does it solve the problem? B, does it what are the unforeseen circumstances and how do we mitigate those? And three, is this something that we can get into law? So we, I started having conversations with the attorney general's office, with the state treasurer, Stephen Johnson, and they've been great. Uh, we've brought in bankers. We've brought in credit unions. We've brought in uh, the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. We've brought in all these entities because we're talking about our pension system, $25 billion of, of money that is from, you know, our retirees and also the contributions that the taxpayers of the state of Kansas put in on the employer side. So we're talking about a lot of money. And the worst thing we can do is have unforeseen circumstances down the road 
um, with this ESG bill. So it's it's been an ongoing process. We've had several edits. We've had several changes. Uh, a few weeks ago, we finally got our fiscal note back from the uh, state of Kansas caper system that said that current that iteration that we had at that time would cost our state pension system three point six billion dollars. Again, that is a that is something an unforeseen circumstance that we don't want. So we worked on an amendment. We got uh, the caper system and our state treasurer together to work on an amendment to to uh, mitigate that. We've got that total down to about eight hundred thousand now from three point six billion. Now, I do know that there are folks who kind of want to venture off into the banking side, the the private business side, and deal with ESG uh, in those private institutions. I've been hesitant just because of what we just discussed a few minutes ago is the private sector. I, I, I always prefer the private sector to work itself out. Banks, credit unions, they all abide by fair lending practices. So if there is discrimination um, going on in banks and credit unions, there are areas that, that can help address it. Now, we can always come back next year and and have another discussion if we need to venture into the banking and credit union side. But my focus has been this allowing what we're seeing in other states, having our government contracts, having our government pensions, things that we control as a government uh, being weaponized. And that's the last thing we want, especially with a Democratic administration that we have now. So that's been my main focus on this bill was the government pensions, the government contracts, things that we as a government entity control. Now, it again, we can always have a conversation about going into the private markets and the banks and uh, discussing ESG on, on that end. But my focus has, has been on the government side of things we control as a government. Yeah, and as we look at this issue, um, you know, th- this isn't the first issue that we've come across that this, that this occurs on, but the federal government has passed policies, regulations that these companies are now following, right? Yeah. And so when the federal government passes this and then applies penalties and violations to it, and then let's say we come in and we then pass something that's counter to what the federal government yes. says. So, and we've, <clears throat> again, not just the ESG issue, but this has come up on, on several other issues in the past as well. And so if, this, so if the federal government passes a policy and then the state government passes a policy to the counter of that, then what ends up happening is these entities in the middle end up, whether it's citizens, businesses, end up in the middle to where now they have to choose which law do I break? Do I break yeah. the state law or do I break the federal law? Yeah. Because if they're counter to each other, there's no win situation where they cannot win because they have to figure out who, in in which instance, are they going to break the law yeah. for which 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 government? And and putting our private businesses and banks, I mean, in that area of having to make that decision is tough. It's tough. And I would argue that if you look at the heavy arm of the federal government, that more often than not, I think a lot of those companies typically tend to say, okay, well, we're going to break the state law because the federal law, they can harm us far more significantly than the state can. And the the penalties and everything else that the federal government does is, is... far more extreme. And so that's just some of the issues that I've seen in the past when we end up in these kinds of issues where it's the state versus the federal government, we're trying to fight for freedom and and the federal government is not. They're doing the wrong thing and they're going down the wrong path, but 
people are getting caught in the crossfire. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's 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 a very ESG and and this whole topic it's a very complex issue. And the last thing we can do is just be reactionary just to pass something to get it into law without vetting it fully. Um, again, the, I, I, I do understand the folks who, who would like to venture off into the banking and the private business side and have those discussions. I think it's just a philosophical difference between me and them on how I view the role of government uh, compared to how they view the role of government. But, you know, I'm always open to discussion. So uh, one other thing I do want to point out in this, um, there is a local preemption piece in there. So this bill would apply to all political subdivisions in the state of Kansas. Um, and that's including city councils or cities, uh, counties, and, and so forth. We've all we've found that the uh, city of Lenexa has a uh, city ordinance that bars any gun manufacturer, uh, gun distributor of any kind, anybody that has anything to do with, with firearms, uh, a company, from sponsoring events, city events in the city of Lenexa. So um, I, I've pulled up the ordinance. I've, I heard about this a few weeks ago and I pulled up the ordinance and we do count firearms in ESG in our definitions. Um, so this local preemption piece would, would preempt the city of Lenexa from having this ordinance that, uh, that discriminates against um, uh, the firearms industry. Well, really, people's Second Amendment rights. That's that's what that boils yeah. down to. And we just had a podcast recently about the Second Amendment um, with uh, Rebecca Schmoy, so mm-hmm. Representative Schmoy. So uh, I I didn't even know about that. So yep. yeah, no, that that it, makes me even, even more excited because here's the thing. I mean, at the end of the day, we it's also government's role to protect people's rights, mm-hmm. and whether or not you disagree with those or not, it's it's still our our job to stand in that yeah. gap. And it, it just goes back to it. This is a government entity using the the powerful hand of government, the city of Lenexa government, from discriminating against a biz, legal business in the state of Kansas in good standing just because they're a firearms dealer. Yeah, just because they don't like what they're what they're about. Well, yep. that's unfortunate. And, well, that, as we've learned from Gavin Newsom and others, they, they will— they yeah. will go to whatever lengths they can in order to enforce their will with the with the arm of government. So that's unfortunate. Okay, so we got about five to ten minutes left yeah. here. So we're going to cover um, next the banking industry as a whole in general. Um, we've seen several major banks uh, fail within the last several weeks. Um, you know, I think you guys had a actually. I don't think I know you guys had a uh, presentation yesterday um, from the banking commissioner. So if you could go into a, a little bit of the, the details on that and what is the health of the banking industry uh, here in Kansas, and if he discussed any of the national stuff, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, well, I will start off saying um, the commissioner has conveyed that the state of the banking industry in Kansas is strong. At this point, there are no banks in the state of Kansas that are under any threat to fail at this time. We have uh, how how they rate in Kansas. It's called a ga- uh, I'm sorry, a camel system, and that's how the uh, banking commissioner ranks ranks the uh, banks in the state of Kansas. We have 176 uh, state chartered banks in the state of Kansas. And um, this is a one through five rating with five being the worst and one being the rest, the best rated. Uh, We have no rated five banks in the state of Kansas. So we have no banks that are in severe uh, distress at this moment. Um, He gave us a a very good presentation. He walked through what what happened in California um, a lot of it had to do with buying ten-year uh, treasuries um, during the. And, and believe it or not, this is actually all tied to the pandemic and the government spending 
during the pandemic. Surprise, surprise, we're still having issues with that. Um, they took in during the pandemic a lot of deposits because the economy, they were just pumping so much money in the economy. People were sticking it in banks. They take the banks take these deposits. They have to do something with that money. So they decided to buy a lot of 10-year treasuries um, bonds. Now, the Fed came in because they were pumping so much money, they had to drastically raise interest rates. And when interest rates go up, the bond market tanks. And when folks decided, hey, we need to pull some of our money out of that bank, and this is um, um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank I'm speaking of now, uh, depositors decided to pull their money out of the banks. The banks didn't have the money there, so they had to liquidate those 10-year treasuries to pay the depositors. Well, since the interest rates went up, the bond market crashed. Those treasuries were not worth as much as they would be if you held them to the 10-year maturity. So they had to cash them in at 60, 70 cents on the dollar. I think after they sold all their treasuries, they lost about $16 billion um, from if they held them to, to maturity. So that is, that is a huge, huge deficit to try to make up. Uh, So the federal government had to come in and, and backstop uh, that one. Of course, there was uh, one in New York as well, uh, signature. There's also another one at this moment, uh, First Republic. That's another California bank that is struggling. And I'm watching to see what the federal government decides on that. Now, what's happening uh, with uh, um, Silicon Valley and, and signature is the government came in and decided to backstop uh, that those and guarantee all deposits even above $250,000. So every bank has a, it's called FDIC insurance. So if you have your money in the bank and it's, it's below 250,000, that deposit is guaranteed. Anything above 250,000 that you have in a bank that the rest of that money is not guaranteed. Um, and how the, uh, FDIC insurance is, is how, how it's formulated is a special assessment tax on banks. So what is happening is the feds came in and said, Hey, this bank Silicon Valley is too big to fail is how they classified it. So we're going to guarantee all the deposits in in this bank. And we're going to use FDIC insurance that, uh, to pay those depositors. Now, the problem is if we have a bank failure in Kansas, a small community bank, um, the, the feds aren't coming in bailing that bank out. But that bank's tax, the special assessment tax that they pay on FDIC insurance is what's going to bail out the bank in in California and the bank in New York, Signature Bank. So that basically in a roundabout way is our banks in Kansas are helping pay for the bailout of those two banks when if that same bank in Kansas fails, the feds aren't coming in for that. So So if if a bank in Kansas fails... Um, FDI, so if someone says, Hey, my, that, that bank failed, does the FDI, ins- FDIC FDI. insurance cover that Kansan, um, and, and their deposits up to $250,000? Yeah. Yes. Up okay. To two- so, so that, that's at least good. Okay. Yeah. I, I just want to make sure that yeah. that was clear. Yep. Um, but what, yeah, I mean, what you're saying is that we're basically bailing out bad practices of other banks in other states. This is very similar to, this is very similar to the concept of Illinois their budgets suck and they have a horrible um, pension system put in place. And this would be basically equivalent to other states paying taxes to the federal government. And then the federal government using our taxpayer dollars to bail out those other states because of their poor fiscal monetary policies. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Kansas, we're not a bigger state. We, we don't go and try to get bailed out by the federal government. We're tend to be fiscally responsible here. Um, But it seems like it's us, you know, we're always having to pay the bail out typically liberal states. 
And this is another one, you know, we, we have to go and using FDIC insurance to bail out uh, a bank in California that made a lot of risky and bad investments. Um, I, I think Roku, the, the TV streaming service Roku, had roughly $500 million in uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And now anything above 250 before it would they would lose it. But since the feds are coming in and bailing out, they're going to get all that 500 million back off of tax assessments on your local Kansas bank. Wow. Yep. Well, hopefully this issue doesn't continue to progress and we hopefully don't find out that a bunch of other banks made similar risky investments. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, yeah. And I will say again, though, it was reiterated several times that Kansas banks are safe and not at risk. So well. I'm thank, thankful for their uh, investment practices here in the state of Kansas. Yeah. So uh, are there any final comments that you have before we wrap up? No, I, I thank you for having me on today. Uh, I appreciate your friendship and your service here, and uh, I appreciate your leadership role. I, I remember coming in uh, my freshman year and sitting a seat down from you in the chamber, and you answered every dumb question I asked about procedure, and, and I learned a lot that first two years sitting by you and just – everything in the chamber and how everything goes. So I, I'm always thrilled to see you move up. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, I've, I've definitely have appreciated your friendship as well. And, you know, there's people say that, you know, there's, there's really dumb questions out there. I got to tell you when, when if someone comes in and they're a freshman, um, this process is not like anything out there uh, that I've ever come across in the private sector. And so I got to tell you, there, there really truly are no dumb questions, especially when you start looking at these rule books that are 800 pages long and we have to, you know, follow that rule book plus another rule book plus another rule book. We have like three rule books that we have to follow. We have the house rules, joint rules, Mason's rules. So when you have to know all of that procedure, um, there is no, there are no dumb questions. And so, I, I still, to this day, find you from time to time reading a rule book, just oh, randomly. Yeah. Well, you know, Dan, uh, so the speaker says that uh, I'm, I'm pretty sick because I'll uh, sometimes uh, read it before I go to bed at night. Um, oh, so, Lord. I mean, that'll, that'll uh, That's tuck you in nice. That's but and, we appreciate it. Yep, yep. But that'll tuck you in nice and nice and nicely. Uh, I got to tell you, you'll, you'll fall soundly asleep after reading some of that. Um, but anyways, well, thank you, Representative. Really appreciate your time today uh, talking about the banking industry and also the ESG topic. Uh, so thank you, and thank you all to all the listeners out there, and uh, we will catch you next time on the Kansas Briefing.